And welcome into SEC Football and Beyond. Great to be back with my partner, Neil McCready. It was my fault, I admit it. We were not here Tuesday. And I don't know, Neil, this may have been a blessing or not for people listening, but I didn't have a voice. The voice was, uh, well, it was there. It just wasn't coming out. So we missed it there. So much to get caught up on. I got to re- react, get your reactions to where we are in the tournament, uh, obviously. It's a fun time of year, and um, so sure, all of your brackets are like uh, everybody's busted. So we'll get into that. A lot of things going on, spring practices going on in the SEC, in college football, draft preparation. Um, you know, Alabama coaching change. Ed Orgeron made some news uh, with some comments he made. I'll get into what my thoughts on that. And a lot, and lot of stuff going on. Neil, good to be back with you. Good to be with you, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, how's your week been? Um, looking forward to the weekend of basketball and uh, uh, how, how things going in your bracket. My bracket sucks. <laughs> uh, most, most brackets suck. But that's what makes the tournament fun, right? Is that it's, yeah, yeah, it is. It if, does. If the tournament were a series of of seven game series, um, you know, it would it would look it would go by chalk for the most part. But uh, it's not. It's it's one game. You got to be you got to be better on on one day. You got to be better for a half. You got to make it an interesting game in the second half. Get another team a little scared, stuff like that, and all those things happen. And you know the rest. And so here we are with sixteen teams left. I was about to pull up a schedule to see when it uh, Saturday. Um, <clears throat> I'll go Central Time, folks. You figure out the rest if you're in the other time zones. But Saturday. We start off at 140 on CBS, Oregon State, Loyola. Yep. Loyola, that's a that's a good-looking team, at least to me watching. Uh, at 415 CBS, so that's a standalone game, 415 p.m. on CBS Saturday, Villanova-Baylor, another interesting matchup. Then um, in the nighttime, I guess CBS wants to go to nighttime program or whatever they got there. It's TBS at 625 Central. Oral Roberts, Arkansas. Let me remind folks that's that's campuses are about ninety five, hundred miles apart. Or are you at fifteen seed Arkansas? More on Arkansas and the rest of the SEC in a second. And then on the nightcap on Saturday, eight fifty five p.m. Central on TBS, Syracuse, Houston. Boy, you put Syracuse, Jim Beheim in an eleven seed, and <laughs> look out Sunday, um, one ten Central on CBS, Creighton. Gonzaga, uh, real good. Uh, we can't call those teams mid majors anymore. They're just they go from mid majors. I remember when they were mid majors. Now they're just powers. Um, Florida State, Michigan at four p.m. Central on CBS, um, and then at nighttime, same thing. TBS at six fifteen Central. UCLA, Alabama, such an intriguing matchup, and then eight forty five p.m. Central on TBS. Pac-12 matchup, two of the four members of the Pac-12 that are in the Sweet 16, Oregon and USC, two really good teams. Um, uh, your thoughts on, I just, no, no, I'm not looking past anything. I'm not, I, n- don't get me wrong. I just can't think, though, that for Alabama and Arkansas, the brackets breaking out more favorably for two good teams that are playing well I mean, you know, Alabama, I thought, you know, once they had Maryland and and once you saw Texas get not, not that, not that Alabama would have necessarily lost. I'm not saying that Texas is more talent, 
but kind of you knew when they were going to, oh, you beat Maryland, you're either going to play an 11 seed UCLA, good team, or an Abilene Christian that Alabama's going to be kicking themselves. Let's start with them. If they don't, they certainly need to make an Elite Eight. But, you know, I think that with Michigan's situation, I think Alabama right now looks to be the favorite to make it to the Final Four. Your thoughts? Well, I'm really interested to see the Michigan-Florida State game. I don't think Leonard Hamilton gets anywhere near enough credit for the job that he does there in Tallahassee year over year over year over year. He has quietly turned them into he, – he jokes about they're not a blue blood, but the truth is they are fast kind of becoming a blue blood. Uh, Michigan-Florida State should be a very entertaining game. I it thought should. Michigan-LSU was a very entertaining game. Uh, I think Jawan Howard's done a, a terrific job at Michigan. They can beat you in a lot of different ways. Um, they like to get the game into the half court. I thought LSU fell into that trap the other night. Um, once that once that game got into the half court, the advantage shifted to Michigan. Florida State can can play Michigan in a couple of different ways. I think that's going to be a great game. UCLA is a hot team. I think Alabama is a better team. Um, listen, I have Alabama in the Final Four, and 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 nothing that I've seen so far in the tournament makes me believe that won't be the case. Although I will tell you, I am super excited at the prospect of an Alabama uh, Michigan elite eight game. It's, it's got, that's a, that's a sexy matchup because Michigan is going to try to do a lot of the same things that it did to LSU against Alabama. They're going to try to slow the game take advantage of some size advantages get the game into the half court, change tempo. Uh, Alabama can do a lot of things to Michigan that LSU did to them. Alabama can can speed them up. Alabama can make threes. I thought LSU shot the ball really well early the other night, which which sort of put L- put Michigan on the rope some. And the difference, and I don't mean this as a shot at Will Wade at all, the difference is I don't believe that Nate Oates if this game comes to fruition, I don't think Nate Oates will take the bait the way that Wade did to some degree um, and, and slow the game down. I think you'll see Oates push, 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 push the entire game and try to go fast, and it will be it will be speed versus um, Michigan trying to plot it a little bit. I think actually it's, it's a – if you like chess match bas- uh, basketball, I think that game's – one that we're all look forward to, which I guess would be Tuesday. Is that right? That's the, uh, that's yeah. The, <clears throat> yeah. The weird thing about the tournament is I'm so used to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that I, it, it's been some, I look, I love the tournament. It's been great and I've thoroughly enjoyed it, but I'm, I'll be honest. I'm a little disconcerted right now with schedules and because a Saturday game to me feels like it should be an elite eight game because it always has. Right. Sweet <clears throat> 16 game, but I'm not complaining at all. I, I think a, uh, I think a Tuesday night Alabama Michigan Elite Eight game is is must see TV. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's interesting though how it has played out. And I guess they're doing it. I, I've been thinking the same thing. I guess they did it because you don't need to allow for travel time, you know, because everybody's there uh, in the same place. Um, it does make for a a you know quadruple header on Saturday and Sunday uh, as opposed to having you know multiple games on used to be like Thursday night, you know, two. So now you get what you get is standalone games. As I just read the schedule off Saturday, 
you know, quadruple header. You can focus on it. And then same thing Sunday. And then you have less games to deal with on a Monday and Tuesday. Night. It's interesting to see. Oh, uh, our, Chris, yeah. it may have stumbled into something. Yeah, it may, it may be something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you people are home on Saturday. It's it's I know there's the old everybody takes off on Thursday of the first round of the tournament type thing. But, you know, that's 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 not as easy to do. It's not for everybody, you know, Um uh, I'll t- uh, I'll touch on Arkansas real quick. Yeah, I was going to ask you that real quick to lead into that. Go ahead with it because that's – all due respect to Oral Roberts, um, That that's a game Arkansas should win. 15 seeds shouldn't advance to the Elite Eight. We've seen it happen now recently, sure. but Arkansas should be able to take care of business. So this is an Oral Roberts team that should not have been seeded 15th. Uh, we see that now in the tournament. They should have been seeded higher than that. This is a team that played Arkansas. Like I've got a daughter at Arkansas, so sometimes I watch Arkansas games just to have a conversation piece, if I'm honest. And uh, I watched a good bit of Arkansas this season. And early in the year, I want to say it was back in December around the holidays, Oral Roberts played Arkansas in Fayetteville. Arkansas won by 11. But it's one of those things where if that's all you look at, you missed the, you missed it. Oral Roberts led at the half, and early in the second half, Oral Roberts had a double-digit lead. Now, a lot has changed for every team. since December's early. This is March. Teams have developed. Arkansas certainly has developed a lot since uh, since December. Arkansas is a much better team today than it was in late December when, quite frankly, they were slogging along a little bit. But this is absolutely a scary game for Arkansas. If you're Oral Roberts, it's a free shot. You're in the Sweet 16. Sure. You're in the Sweet 16. If Oral Roberts loses by 11 to Arkansas, they head back to Tulsa and they're met at the, you know, they're met on campus with a bunch of people cheering them. You, uh, it's a success. It's like uh, when Abilene Christian knocked off Texas. Anything from that point forward was absolute gravy, icing, whatever word you want to use. Because their tournament will always be remembered. 40 years from now, when the kids from Abilene Christian get together as grown men, they won't talk about losing to UCLA. Nope. They'll talk about beating Texas in the NCAA tournament. And so Oral Roberts has two sexy wins that no one can ever take away from them. And now they get a free shot. <clears throat> and so, so ha- Yeah. And for Arkansas, it's it, it, it's a game Arkansas should win. It's a game I think Arkansas will win. They're playing really well. But not as big of an upset as a lot of people, including myself, would, would yeah, think. It, it wouldn't be. It, it really okay. wouldn't be. But I, I do think Arkansas will win. I think uh, Musselman's done a terrific job with this team. Uh, he's he's kind of shook up his starting lineup a little bit. They, they, he shortened his rotation. They're playing a seven-man rotation, but it's really playing five and a half, six kids. Justin Smith's been terrific for them. Uh, Moses Moody is a, a a lottery pick and starting to play like one at times, but yet they don't lean on him the way Oklahoma State leaned on Cade Cunningham. Like here, here's the ball, man. I know, you, I know you're the number one pick, but you're only 18. But here, here's the ball. Carry us. That's a lot to ask. Arkansas doesn't ask that of Moody. He's a top 10 pick. He'll he'll go seventh, eighth in the NBA draft, but Arkansas doesn't lean on him like that. They let, they let his, his talents compliment them. So I think they'll win. And then uh, they'll get, if I'm right, they get the winner of Baylor Villanova, which is a Baylor team that is really talented. 
Does not look the same, though. Baylor does not look the same to me as it did before their little COVID thing that hit them late in the year. They look a little sluggish. They're going to play Jay Wright, Villanova. That's one of the best programs in the country. What he's done at, at, at Villanova is incredible. A uh, a Baylor-Arkansas Elite Eight game. Got some old Southwest Conference feel to it, but that's a that's got a chance to be one of those track meet sort of basketball games that could go either way. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, Chris, that in a year where the SEC gets kind of labeled as down because Kentucky sucked, <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility that the SEC puts two teams in the Final Four. Those are the uh, the look at the two SEC teams in the East and the South region. Um, quickly over, and we're taking, we got you. Appreciate Rich and Sammy joining us in the thread. If you want to uh, join us with any comments on this or anything, please do so. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you remind you that you can always catch us live on Twitch TV, YouTube TV. Join us in the chat room, questions, comments. So in the West, all signs point to just Gonzaga looks team to beat and just just got at. But again, one bad night's all it takes. They take care of Creighton if they're going to line up and play a West Coast game out in the West region to play in Indianapolis. Um, Gonzaga would would end up playing either USC, Oregon, and and I think. Look, I I thought Illinois was was a good looking team going in, but but Gonzaga clearly was the team that most people thought was the number one seed. Well, they were the number one seed in the entire tournament in the Midwest. I find it really intriguing. Speaking of misseeding, it certainly looks like I don't know if it was a misseeding or whatever, but I that Loyola Chicago team it wasn't any fluke. I mean, they beat Illinois, and it was I know Illinois maybe didn't do everything they need, but man, it looked like they had trouble getting it going against Loyola. We got um, our guy Sammy in the threats at Oregon State to Elite Eight. Maybe he's a B fan. Maybe so. Um, boy, what what a what a story the Pac-12 has been. Uh, but that's an intriguing game, Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago. And I don't know. Am I it, 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 Houston's the two seed? But, you know, and again, it's recency bias, but it almost looks like, okay, yeah, I get it. Syracuse, we know what Bayheim does with a with a, with a high seed. It almost looks like Loyola, Loyola from here on out maybe look look like the favorite, at least off of last weekend, that, the favorite in this, this region. Probably not going to play out that way, but going to be interesting to see. I don't know how good Houston is. I've seen them a couple of times. I just don't know. Is they're there good. any better than Loyola Chicago? They're good. Kelvin Sampson's done a great job at Houston. They're really good. Uh, Loyola should be higher than an eight. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that Brad Underwood wishes that. Ooh, man, yes, sir. Would fix that. They just, they just beat Illinois. They just, they just he beat. It. There was did. nothing, like you said. There was nothing fluky about it. I kept waiting for. All right, this has been a good run, but Illinois is getting ready to take it, and they tried, and they did like. Man, they got punched in the mouth. They run such pretty offense, and uh, they can they can beat you inside. They have shooters. They have good guard play. Uh, Moser's a terrific coach, I and mean, we should have seen this last, you know, because he went to the Final Four two years, three years ago, and everyone, oh, it's a fluke, and we got focused on Sister Jean and and all of that, and and that's it's good. Look, Sister Jean's awesome. That's great for the sport, and it, it, we all no, no one. 
I'm not demeaning her in any way. Yeah, Sister Jane, as, as a Catholic boy went to Catholic school, I'm for you. That that's yeah. that's at Neil McCready, not yeah. <laughs> what happens is she became because she's she's adorable, right? I mean, you know, she's this hundred year old woman that that is sharp as a tack and she talks about basketball and she's terrific and everybody wants their picture with her and all of those things. And so what happened was Loyola's trip to the Final Four became Sister Jean's trip to the Final Correct. Four. Correct. It's like, yeah, they're not really that good. And then they get the divine intervention, the rosary beads went the right way and they got in. I watched that team, and I'm I, here's the thing. I didn't see them play really this year. They, they're, they're talented. They're loaded with talent. Oh, I mean, really- I didn't realize that. Good God. I mean, this is not a great game, a great shooting night, and they pulled a one-off. I'm like, or who's I mean there are there three or four teams in this rest of the tournament that can beat him I mean Ken but man this looks like a really talented team that's got a lot of answers yeah they you know they were as high as eight or nine in the net for a little while they 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 got seated in eight they probably been should have been seated at a five um yeah. you know, well yeah. it's a weird year in the tournament because you didn't we didn't get yeah, all those true we didn't get all of those early non-conference games that we normally get. And, and Oregon state on the other side is really hot right now. I mean, they, they did not play as well early as they're playing now. So this, listen, this is going to be a really good now, game. Now is the, help me here is the Oregon state basketball coach is, is it a new guy or is that still uh, Obama's brother-in-law? No, it's the new guy, right? It's I I don't know. I, I I remember it was I remember Obama's brother-in-law used to be the coach, but I I've lost track. I I I, I think yeah, you think you're right. I think they did fire him. Yeah, it is a new guy. Um, now, now that you mention it, I couldn't remember who was the coach at Oregon State. Um, uh, but uh, they are they are playing really well. Well, I can tell you, Sammy will t- tell us because he's a he's it's obviously Wayne Tinkle's the coach there. Wayne Tinkle, yeah, that's not the uh, I think it was Reggie something. So, uh, but a couple of things overview. Your thoughts on this? It's it's a weird year. Weird. So if not for Michigan coming back against LSU, or you know just beating LSU because that was back and forth. I mean, we saw a loaded Big Ten this year. You know, and you get this a lot. Well, the Big Ten was overrated. They, they had a one hell of a season. Regular season is different the tournament, but it it is nine teams in and one team left. I mean, it, everybody else is gone, including Illinois that's playing well and Ohio State or you. We know uh, your thoughts on, A, them, and God, Pac-12. We just kicked dirt on them in football season. Man, four good-looking teams uh, remaining in the Pac-12. Big Ten, a rough tournament. Yeah, they've had a rough tournament. It's still a really good league. I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. they there were a lot of good teams. Some of so much of the tournament is draw matchup. Do you get the right matchup? Do you get the right draw? Look at Illinois. I mean, they they got as for as good as they were. They had a really unfortunate draw where you draw an eight that's that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the tournament's been volatile, which is what makes the tournament fun, right? Is that you know the tournament is so unpredictable. Sure. And I, if you replayed it, would would all those Big Ten teams lose? Probably not. But, you know, it is what it is. And the Pac-10's been great. I mean, Oregon's such a really good team. We talked about Oregon State. USC. USC's uh, really good. Well, this Mobley kid at USC is a difference maker. I mean, he is a – for all the talk about Cade Cunningham, and I love Cade Cunningham. I mean, I, I as a Thunder fan, would do anything to see Cade Cunningham on the Thunder roster. 
in some ways, I think Evan Mobley is a better fit. So there's a lot of teams that are looking at Evan Mobley as the second pick, the third pick, going, that's the guy we want. Um, and then UCLA's, as we talked about, they got hot. And and a lot of times it's getting hot. It's it's the this is a football, right? Where in football, you, you get off to a bad start in the first two weeks of your season and you're done. You're not going to win the national title. In basketball, you can yeah, overcome different. that. It's different sports. In basketball, you can overcome that. So you can start slow and then build speed and peak late and, and be a champion. Um, and so that, that could happen out of the Big 12. I will tell you this about Gonzaga. They play Creighton, and then they get the winner of Alabama-UCLA. Well, they then they get USC-Oregon. I meant USC-Oregon. Um, I, I don't think Creighton can beat Gonzaga. I don't think Creighton can beat Gonzaga one time. USC-Oregon is interesting. Both of those teams, if you played a seven-game series against Gonzaga, Gonzaga would win in five. So the question is, can you get that one that you're going right. to get in game one? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's Get it close and hope they miss a couple of free throws down the end or something because they don't play many close games. But they are an immensely talented team. They can beat you in so many ways. And uh, the guard Suggs is just terrific, and and they, they'll they're the favorite in the tournament. They're and, they're, they're and, the best team. And I uh, I find myself without really pulling for anybody, just enjoying it from a fan standpoint. Like Mark Few, like just seems to be just a really I don't know him. Just seems to be a really good guy, and I I get it. So people say, you know, throw this out. Well, they don't play anybody during the regular season. Of course, they're unbeaten and all that. They're really good. They they need a they've been there. They've been to the final four. They need to kind of win it to, they have, he's built a power. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's anybody, um, that could get him out of there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Brad Stevens, like somebody, you know, I don't, just don't think he would want to leave the Pacific Northwest. Maybe, maybe if they bring the supersonics back to Seattle, maybe he might want to do that if he wanted to change, but he just, he's just like, it looks like he's just happy, it's it fits like a glove for him and vice versa. And I just feel like it would be great for them to just get it get it done, you know, just win it all because we've not we've seen teams crash the final four. We've not seen that team win it all. Butler, George Mason, you can make it there, but you can't win it all. Gonzaga is, as I said before, remember when they were the mid-major, and hey, let's talk about this mid-major programs. I mean, how do you classify Gonzaga? Because it sure as hell ain't a mid-major team. I mean, they're like a, a, a an elite power program right now, and it's it's just really impressive to see what they're doing. Uh, and I, I just I kind of find myself kind of pulling for them to have ultimate success. Well, we have a tendency because they're not a power five team to consider them some sort of a Cinderella. And and, and the, the, the truth is they have two lottery picks on their team. I know. I mean, and so, you know, two lottery picks and, and the kid that transferred from Florida, who's a, a really good player. Um, and, and then, you know, they're really talented. He's been there a while. And the, the look, they're going to have their hands full, though, in the Elite Eight, one way or the other. That you're, oh, sure. you're either going to play this Oregon State team that, that, Slows the game down, plays inside out, um, can sl- can which which shrinks the game down to where hey a couple of segments and, and you're in it, or you play you, you play USC with with a, a a player talented enough on a given day to carry you in Mobley. 
So it'll be fun. And then, know. and then in the Final Four, you're going to get a an Alabama team, which we've talked about, a Michigan team, which we've talked about, a Florida State team that's really good. You know, so you're going to get one of those three. I would think. I'm yeah. not. I, I mean, I'm not. Look, I mean, who's to say it's not going to be UCLA? You know, but I think if it's UCLA, that's probably a matchup that works pretty well for him. Um, I, think, and, you know, this, I think Alabama can beat Gonzaga. Okay, do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, can you know, if, if okay, so seven-game series, who wins that? Because one, one game, Gonzaga wins it six. In six. Yeah. And all of a sudden, so when you're talking about who wins game one in a series, well, either team could win it. And this is – Right. This, these are one-game series. So, um, yeah, that, look. As good as Gonzaga is, they're not infallible. There, there's not one team in this tournament that simply can't be beaten. They're, Gonzaga's the favorite. They're the best team. They haven't lost all year. They're really good. How many uh, – I don't want to throw you off here. Curveball here. Uh, off the top of your head, I mean, so they've got good pro prospects. But but here's my impression of them. Um, they, in, in a world of – Big time programs, you know, the one and done theory. Gonzaga doesn't have as much of that, you know, meaning that they develop players. They got they get good players, but they tend to stay in their system a little longer. And that's why I think overall, personally, it's a gut feeling as more of a watch the tournament starting at conference tournament time and very little before that type of person as I am now in modern day. I think that the quote-unquote old mid-major theory is that they can build teams a little bit more than the ones that that has players come in and out. You got to recycle them. It's hard to build a team when they're only there one or two years. Is that is that how Gonzaga's done it? Uh, they've done a little bit of everything now. I got to be honest with you. We, we'll probably get to football topics in just a minute. This is a topic that we can kick down the road a little. I'll tease it now. I, I know a lot of basketball people just from what I do for a living. I talked to a pretty high-profile basketball assistant on a on a high-profile program just last night. And they're all starting to say the same thing, which is an interesting thing. There's going to be, by the time it's done, a thousand kids in the transfer portal. Think in, ba- about, in basketball. Think about that number, Chris. Yeah, think about that. Now, when we talk about it in football, think about basketball with 15 players on the roster. And he was saying... Look, unless it's a high four-star, five-star kind of kid, why are we taking those kids? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I mean, you sign four or five high school kids. He goes, typically, that's what we always did. Programs are always built on that. He goes, we go sign four or five high school kids. Maybe one's ready to play right away. Maybe another one is ready to go halfway through the season to help us some. He goes, but for the most part, high school kids as freshmen aren't quite ready. There's a there's an adjustment. There's a maturity. You know, they're not robots. They're they're human beings. They they're away from home for the first time. They're adjusting to college life. They've um, learning how to practice. Practicing at the college level is a much different thing than practicing at the high school level. The practices are longer. The practices are more intense. The practices are 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 more structured. There's more film work. You're not dominating practice at the college level the way that you are at the high school level. It's suddenly it's, it's stressful. Um, there's a lot there. And he was saying, you know, by the time you develop those guys, 
two things. One, now you got to keep them happy. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. You can't develop a team. It's harder to develop. That's my point. You can't develop a team as much as you do anymore. You bring them in. They'll play. I mean, I, I go back to the days with Pete Maravich where Pete Maravich, you, I mean, you couldn't play as a freshman. Now, I know that's a long time ago. Most people are saying, what? But even when you could freshman could play, you played and you said, boy, this guy's going to be really good. And then sophomore year, you know, maybe they got better. Sometimes kids didn't for whatever. Junior. And then maybe a guy would leave after his junior year. But usually, you know, I can remember the talk with Isaiah Thomas. The talk was, and this was the talk back then. Is Isaiah Thomas going to leave after his junior year? Because nobody's ever left Bobby Knight. They always played four years or, you know, they always stayed four years. And I remember that being the talk. And to me, that doesn't seem very long ago. Well, it is. I know. I mean, no. But my point is, is now how it completely opposite is it? You, It's hard to develop a team. So if you get a program that you've got good players, but they're quite a quote unquote, not good enough to be high picks to where they're going to stay in a good program with a good coach and be developed for, say, two or three years, that to me can take the Gonzaga's of the world and Creighton's of the world and Loyola's of the world and say, by the time they get into tournament action, they are a really good team. They're really experienced. And you know what? They are better than Kentucky with all their five stars because Kentucky, and I know it was a COVID year and most years it's not going to be the case, but look how difficult it is. It's you can recruit five stars at those places, but how can, how quickly and how, Difficult is it to develop so quickly to get a team to gel? What you used to be able to have three years to do, now you got to do in three months. I, I think that's re- re- unrealistic. And I think that's why it's made the quote unquote, I know we don't call them mid majors anymore, just definition is that's why we've taken some of these teams and, man, they're really, really Creighton. I mean, I know you said Creighton, they're fifth seed. They're fifth seed, Creighton. Now, I remember uh, Eddie Sutton coaching at Creighton. I remember, remember a kid from your neck of the woods? Remember the big center, Benoit Benjamin? I do remember. Yeah, going, remember, he was going to head to LSU, went to Creighton. At the, I mean, from Carroll High School. Was he yes, was, yes, he's from Carroll High School. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I remember rumors he was going to come to LSU, and LSU was just off the final fours, and it would be, you know, really good. And that was a shock. He went to, went to, um, went to Creighton. Creighton's had some history, but now it's like, Creighton's really good. You know, Gonzaga is going to be somebody you expect to be a one or a two seed every year. That's what you used to think of, of North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, and what maybe you still do in normal years. But anyway, interesting. I appreciate everybody's comments on some hoops talk. I'm I'm glad we had a chance to, a little change for me, but I know we got other things. Hey, how about Sammy asked this, so let's address this. How likely USC and Oregon to go independent when the grant of rights expire. Oh, I, that's not going to happen. Hey, Chris, but I agree with you. It won't happen. But did you see the story about the Pac-12 network? Well, no, but but update me on it because I'm I have some. They're making they're making no money. All their they're they're making absolutely no money off of the Pac-12 network. When I say I, no, I, I no money, it. less than three million dollars a team per year. You, you, you know how difficult it is for me to get the Pac-12 network? Half, more than half the people in the state of California, regardless of how you get your TV, can't get the Pac-12 network. 
Now, you want to tell me how uh, Larry Scott has a job. I think they get that corrected with a better leadership. There is no reason why the Pac-12 network, they, by the way, the Pac-12 networks, because that's, it's a different model. They don't, they, it's, it's literally six channels. It's, it's the Southern California too. It's the, you know, mountain way. It's not a channel. It's six. Right. And And, and it's a different business model. And that's what the story, not to interrupt you, but that's what the story was. It was about how this business model that they have is a complete failure. It's a total disaster. And so they're they're going to have to go back and renegotiate contracts. Yes. They're going to have to go in and completely refigure how they do it. Well, this is not the time to be doing that. When you look around and you've got the the SEC network making money, the Big Ten network making money, um, this grant and rights for a lot of these conferences is coming up now in about what, yep. two and a half, three years. And so, listen, I agree with you completely, Chris, that that's you know, how likely is it that USC and Oregon go independent? Uh, completely unlikely. Now, is it possible? This is something to kick down the road for another day, perhaps, too. Is it possible, though, that we get that big restructure of conferences um, moving forward that involves a real shakeup? See, you might disagree. I think it is. I think there's a real possibility looking at the money, looking at the landscape, looking at the way people consume media has completely changed because so much of what was done in the last few contracts have been about TV. People don't watch TVs anymore. People, people watch these now. Mm-hmm. People watch their, people watch their, their, their phone. I have a good friend that's in NASCAR who said the big mistake NASCAR made was instead of focusing on this screen, they focused on the big screen. And he goes, and we got left behind. It's possible that the Pac-12, because of their inability to turn television and streaming rights into revenue, it's a possibility that some of those schools start to, sh- to look around a little bit and that maybe you know the Big 12, Pac-12 merger becomes something. I don't know what's going to happen. I do think the possibility of a real realignment shakeup is absolutely there. Well, we saw it years ago. When I don't know if people are aware of this, um, how close Texas and Oklahoma, along with Tech and Oklahoma State, that we're gonna be the hey, you gotta you gotta take those two, um, were to go into the Pac-12. And that was pretty pretty close on that last big 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 realignment, but that was joining the Pac-12. The Big Twelve is still considered the the low-hanging fruit of conferences financially, although the Pac-12 struggling. Here's the difference is I just think bad leadership and talk about the Pac-12. That, that's easily fixable. And I know in today's market, th- that is very simple to do like the Big Ten has done to align with Fox. If they want to go the ESPN route, I mean, we'll see. But all they got to do is they got to align that. The mistake that they made is they try to, again, break them up and try to do it on their own. you got to go ahead, and the Pac-12 is still considered a commodity to have, and I think an even better one because you might be able to get them on the cheap. Now, if you're the Pac-12 and you do a new TV deal with their new commissioner, when they get a new commissioner, is to do a short-term contract. You know the ACC's already getting criticized. You know why? They got that the, the, the ACC network deal. Look at the length of that deal. They're by the by the midpoint of that deal, they're gonna say, Oh my 
God, look how much money we left on the table. Let me also say this. Fox Sports is going to want to get, they're going to have to fill the void. There is already some talk um, because Amazon bought the Thursday night package of the NFL. Mm -hmm. There's Jeff Bezos, um, and I know he's not the acting CEO or whatever. He's, he's, it's looking like Amazon Prime may form their own network. It may be like the ESPN of streaming and they, they make, they may be a monopoly on a lot of things. So I don't know if, if you're, if your uh, Amazon prime thing is going to cover every, I mean, it's going to be. So my point is, is there's some talk in the industry that Fox may even get out of the NFL because of what they Ooh. lost down the road when it's done. Yeah. So if they do, or they're marginalized, then then they're going to want to go maybe more. They're going to have to fill the void. And I could see doing something with the Pac-12 on the cheap. But if you're the Pac-12, you need to get your house in order with a new, somebody that's really good. I think they need to go and get somebody, Neil, in the Pac-12 that understands TV because that's the key. That's what made That's what made the SEC, and quite frankly, the Big Ten, really successful financially. And you hit it. Uh, it, there's no question. And, and, you know, and I know like Big Ben was is talking about like Creighton not being a mid-major and things. Like, yeah, I know since, but the Big East is not like the Big East, but, but the Pac-12 to the point that Big Ben and Sammy's bringing out is the Pac-12, if you don't perform the right moves, then they could be diminished to where all of a sudden, like the Big East in basketball was a power. Now the Big East is who the hell's in it? Is there anybody left in the East? Well, yeah, they are. There's a few, but half of them are on the Midwest. I mean, it's just lack of identity. The Pac-12, could it be that way? It could. I don't think they will. Just because they're screwed up now doesn't mean that they're not going to get, you know. Look, the SEC, quite frankly, the last SEC television deal, as it turned out, wasn't a real good deal for the SEC. It was a big bargain for the CBS. They had to wait to the end of it. Now the new deal that we, I think it broke the day we were doing this show, that the you know when the SEC and ESPN that's that's big big bonanza. The key now is to do short term deals with TV now because the I think it's going to go up and up and up because now you're going to you we don't know where things are going. Where, where are we going to get our TV? As you mentioned, I mean the NFL is so powerful that's what's keeping Directv alive. For me, it's NFL Sunday Ticket. The only way you can get it really you know with is to that. But that's that going to change. Yep. So if that changes, all of a sudden, AT&T, Amazon, you know, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be mega millions on the streaming and stuff. So I think you need to be careful when you do these rights. I just you know, not go too long into the future because the price is going to you're going to say, wow, we could have got more and more. I just think it's going to be really fast as young people become the consumers. And when I say that, I mean. Mm -hmm. People who are 16 to 22, when they're now 26 to 32, and they're the consumers, I don't know that they're going to get Dish and DirecTV. They didn't, they, that, that's not how they consume media. Probably and, not. And I mean, I've told you the story. <laughs> when I moved my daughter into her dorm at the University of Arkansas, man, I saw everything go into that dorm that day. Let me tell you the one thing I didn't see. I mean, not one. And I, 
we did a deal where her her uh uh Campbell's roommate Parker, her dad and I sort of reached a deal. It was easy to do. He's a great guy. Hey, you help me move her in and I'll come back and help you move Parker in. And so I did two move-ins that day at Reed Hall. Big one of those old school <laughs> dorms that's been there forever. I think it got built during the George Washington administration. Chris, I saw everything that day. I didn't see a TV. Well, those young people, <laughs> that's right. I didn't see one. Those young people were 18 then. They're 20 now. Five years from now, they're going to be 25. Those are consumers. You're going after those people. Well, you're going to have to reach them. They consume media and they consume entertainment. They just don't do it the way that you and I did and do. And so I, I don't, it's going to be a really different deal. And so you're right. NFL Sunday tickets going to be available. It, it is going to be available outside of direct TV. It just has to because. Yeah. Other, you know, Big Ben says it right there. ESPN plus. They tried to make a run at it and they may, well, I say tried that that may be where it goes through the Disney, through the, through the, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. That's what they want is these big companies start to compete. It's going to drive this and that. And everybody's out there because everybody's a consumer of this stuff. I, I'm no different. I, I, I got, I've had direct TV forever because of Sunday ticket, but I'm not on contract because if stuff happens, I need to, I need to figure out how I'm going to, integrate Amazon prime, but, but you're right. And everybody new generation. So I'm, I'm looking at streaming on my TV here in my office. The other night I stumbled upon, I didn't know what could do this. This is how ignorant I am of technology. I found our Twitch channel where we do our show and LandryFootball.com is on my TV. I'm like, son of a, <laughs> like, I didn't know. I mean, I, I mean, I know you could do it, but I didn't know how to find it. It's like a needle in a head, but I stumbled upon it. I'm like, well, that's that's where everything is. Well, what do you need a typical TV? No, it's going to change, which is why you can't go too far into these deals because technology in two years, what the hell is it going to look like? How many more? I mean, football TV, Sling, YouTube, AT&T have their own streaming, ESPN Plus. Is, I mean, everybody's going to have that, and God knows what else is going to happen. And it's like, you know, I didn't have Southwest Airlines growing up. That that became a thing, you know. I just it, it's going to change. You, you're right, and the money's going to be key. So look, as bad as the Pac-12 is, you can turn it around. You can turn around and be a huge money maker. That's got a lot of things going for it. Like you know, you just mentioned Oregon. You, you look at the Pac. Look at the uh, look at the Pac-12 in basketball. How good it is. You telling me that they can't turn that around? Don't don't get fooled into that. You know that you can't. Will they depends on good leadership or not, but you can, you do a new media rights deal with the right type of person. Look, they're not going to catch the big 10 in the sec anytime soon, but there is no reason why they can't be within a couple of contracts on a par with ACC and making that type of money. They can, they can, but they've got to, they've got to get their house in order. There's some other questions in here, football stuff. Let's see if I can go back in and find it, Chris. I got lost. Okay. Good yeah. participation today. Yeah. A lot of guys. I know there was a question about Alabama's pro day, I think. Yeah. Um, went well. Mac Jones did a good job. Uh, Najee, all the guys ran well, worked out well. Um, look, I mean, it's it's not – the pro day is like a piece of a puzzle, folks. It's not, oh, this after that pro day, this guy's moving up. It's not how it works. That's how they present it. It's not the reality. It, it's like, think of a puzzle. 
and the puzzle is mostly done, but in order to complete it, you want to identify certain things. Why do we have workouts? There are certain metrics that help us determine certain things, not how we move them up and down the board, but whether they fit and whether they're going to be ideal fits in certain situations. And um, I thought it was very productive. They did a really good job. Um, they're going to have a ton of guys drafted. It's it's going to be real interesting. A lot of them draft in the first round. No, Ole Miss had their pro day yesterday. Yes. Moore had a really good yes. Time. Two questions there. Tell me. Did, He's not getting out of the second round, I don't think. Did his performance prevent him from falling to the third? I think when you start to see the run on the receivers, I think he's going to go in the second. Now, he's going to, for me, and I'm I, full disclosure, putting up the draft board, starting at LandryFootball.com, the grade I'm going to have on him, there are going to be some guys with 6-0, grades that are going to be in the third round. He could be one due to size. I don't see it. I think he's really good. I think he's, to me, I'm not completely done. I think I'm kicking him up to 6-4 the six four grid, which is puts them in the high second round. Now, again, folks understand that if you got 25 guys with six, four grades, they can't all go in the high second round. That's good. That's why you move down in the draft and get more. I think this guy's going to be really good. And here's why. No, he's not for everybody and he's not for every position, but what he does, he does so well. And he has such good speed and playmaking ability. I, I think it's, I, I third round possibility. I mean, but I, I think second round value. So you get them in the third round. You gotta, you gotta steal in my mind. Uh, Chad Kelly came back, the former Ole Miss quarterback. Uh, had a pro day performance yesterday. I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious here. Um, is that odd to you that a guy he's been gone for a while would come back to a a, a college pro day setting and then. Is there any way at all in your mind that, that Chad Kelly works his way back to an NFL roster? Um, it happens more than I think people know. Uh, we always have at pro days, basically the rule is 100 miles from campus, and if you have X guys, you you can permit guys, and uh, uh, the we got to get permission from us to work out, and we got to get permission from the school. They got to sign waivers and all that, but – Believe it or not, Neil, there's a bunch of guys. Sometimes we have to be careful. It's not to be rude, but there's every swing and you know what that likes to do that. And it's like we can't get through a damn pro day, you know, because we got we got to work out 15 guys and then 25 guys with it. There are a lot of guys that request it, and there's we try to accommodate as much as possible. And I say we because I'm not at much of the pro days this year. Um, it's not that uncommon. His problem, um, he's had a lot of help from, well, through his uncle, Jim. But Jim has enlisted from the very beginning, Bill Polian, obviously, who he GM at Bill's. And, and Bill's kind of gone on record. Oh, this guy's, you know, just stood on the table for him. Chad's just not been real reliable as a worker maturity level that's been the issue he's had to overcome he's got physical abilities and the time he's had in denver and other spots in the league he just hasn't really separated himself always a chance to be invited to a camp wouldn't rule that out but I, unless things change drastically the difficult part for guys like that is there's a new crop every year and there there are a whole bunch of guys that can do what he can do 
So what makes you separate? And, and I, you know, maybe the maturity level kicked in long shot to, to make a roster, but I do think there's a chance he could get in the camp. Chet Rose has a comment here. He says the largest issue for the SEC going forward is Alabama's dominance in the conference. The league isn't compelling anymore. You have one team, a 30-plus favorite, when they take the field. I guess he's referring to some of the, some of Alabama's SEC games where they are indeed mm-hmm. a 30-point favorite. He's not wrong. It, it is it is a changing dynamic here that, that Alabama has dominated the league for so long to the point that uh, – for example, in, in, in Arkansas, a uh, well, I mean, I mean, Arkansas was a, a competitive team a year ago, and I think Arkansas was a thirty-point underdog to Alabama. You did not used to see that, Chris. That is true. I mean, it happens. Yeah. It happens routinely now. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with it's a chicken egg thing, right? Alabama so successful. I have to redo the numbers because it's like a, a a constant, you know, putting a slot machine. I used to keep a running number of the coaches in the AFC East since Bill Belichick has been in New England. How many coaches essentially he's got fired? And I take the coaches in the SEC that's basically been replaced since Nick Saban's been there. So what you have is everybody's trying to get to look. We gotta we gotta get better, and so you start constantly starting over, and there's no stability in a lot of programs. Um, look, that's not going to stay. It's not Alabama dominance. It's Nick Saban dominance. Yeah. Uh, when Nick Saban, if you look at Alabama's history, you had Bear Bryant and you had Nick Saban. And between then, Alabama was, I'm not going to say they're like everybody else. They were just like other good programs that cycled in. Bad years, bad moments, good years, good moments, big wins, tough losses, if you take Alabama out, the conference is really good. Hell, maybe Georgia is, you know, I mean, is the is looked at as the best team, but they're not as dominant. It's it's going to quote unquote the dominance of which you now see is going to end when Nick leaves. Now, don't ask me when that's going to be. Everybody asks me how long. Don't know. But I but he's not 55. He's not 60. He's not 65. So, I mean, I realize it could be another five years and you're having to deal with it, and that's too long, but but it's going to it's going to change a little bit. And if you're on the other side, if you're AM, um, don't know if Auburn made the right hire or not, but but you know, LSU, you know, Florida, Georgia, you know, good. You know, if you do a good job of kind of building your program to where like you're the amongst the second best in the SEC. Nick Saban leaves at some point, you're in the you're in the race for the best in the league. Cause I mean, you take Alabama out, it's a pretty competitive league. And it's a really good league. But you're right. It's made the mid to lower level teams in the SEC look awful. It's made Arkansas look awful. I mean, Ole Miss played Alabama very well, and they get a lot of credit for that in observing Mississippi State looks awful. I mean, Vanderbilt obviously looks awful against most people. But Missouri, South Carolina could not stay on the field with Alabama. Well, why? They're trying to chase something and they're trying to figure something out. And you got the big, big bad bully there that's, you know, that's going to stay pretty much there until, oh, until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, all bets are on. What was I going to ask you there for a second? I lost my train of thought. I was searching for something just then. Um, no, you're, you're right. Uh, 
There was another question about, about pro days. Um, at pro days, do schools do anything to try to sway NFL scouts? Uh, great foot <laughs> speed, great foot spread. I guess great foot, foot speed. I, I don't know if there's a, a, a joke. Spread. Food spread. He's talking about do they do they? Oh, feed? great food spread. Okay, I thought it was feet. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, no, no, no. That yeah. You know, if we no, actually, we don't have time. No, no, no. That that doesn't. No, that doesn't work. They. The, the 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 biggest thing you can do to help us as pro scouts is be honest and shoot uh, you know shoot straight because here's the thing here's what you don't want to do and I learned this because when I was at LSU I was on the other side so I was the guy that talked to the pro scouts if you say and I'm not talking about publicly to the media or anything that gets out right but if you say everybody's great everybody I'd, you'd like your daughter to marry, then obviously that's not the case with every player. And then when you try to say that this guy is really great, this Neil McCready is really great, well, they don't believe you because you know what? You said that about everything. So, like, for example, I, I and I, you don't trash a guy, but, like, when people came in and scouted Harvey Williams, and I, I said exactly, you know, what he was, was a guy that wasn't real tough. He babied his knees and he just, he was going to have a, you know, but I didn't say it that way. I said it in a way that they knew what I meant to where I, I wasn't trashing the kid, but I was being honest and I needed to do that because the other guy that deserved to be, when I say this guy is an alpha dog worker and a leader, they believe you. And, and so there's really nothing you can do to make, um, you know, to quote unquote. Now, if you if you're not real open, if you don't give good access, that can be a negative. If you give good access, all you're doing it's not you're meaning you can go in and talk to players and all that. Then, then you get a better idea and you better better. View. Some guys are tough. Bill Snyder was a pain in the ass. Loved it. Bill Snyder used to make you sign in with and tell where you're where you graduated from school. So, like, if, if I went into Kansas State and I was a Kansas grad and they were they had Kansas still up on their schedule, he wouldn't let the scout in. Really? Yes. Me, you know, for fear that, well, you know, he might. And, and I'm like, you know, Bill, we used to talk to Bill. You know, you got to understand that, you know, one of my best friends was Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Carr had a former assistant. We think it was a former assistant skunking. A guy got fired, went to another school, and he spilled the beans on what was going on. Well, he he Lloyd said it was either a former coach or a scout. And I said, Lloyd, because Lloyd and I were real close. I said, Lloyd, and still are. It's not a scout. You realize that if a scout ever does that, he would be ostracized, blackballed from the league. And and we would take care of that. Don't and and Philip Former got a little bit of that way. And I had a talk with Philip. It's not um it, it, but but now there are two guys who are really paranoid, the most paranoid. Snyder was paranoid, but then he got a little bit better and he understood. But he was really paranoid, and then Paterno was really paranoid. Paterno would would would, would jog around the practice field. Uh, he was George Allen, like he'd jog around the practice field before practice just to make sure that someone wasn't not scouts, but you know that someone that wasn't supposed to be there. I mean, it had all the foliage and everything. 
you know, but I was like, you know, but, but when you could, he would just want to make, he's just, some of those guys are really paranoid. But yeah, Bill Snyder used to make you, if you went in and you were a Nebraska grad and they had Nebraska on the schedule in two weeks, you had to reschedule until after they played them. And that was, that was really tough. I tell you who was a pain in the ass, who was a pain in the ass was Ray Goff at Georgia. Really? And you know who was the biggest a-hole? Lee Corso at Indiana. I'm not surprised there at all. But but well, most people would say because he's a lovable put a you know, you know put a he and he had nobody. I mean he just he didn't have players. And all. Anyway, I don't mean to digress, but yeah, those are no you. All you do is you're open, you're honest. If you, huh? You were the best. Oh, um, I mean uh, that that's a long list. Most of them are. Let me just say most of them are. Most of them, uh, John Robinson was probably the best because all right so we're in la we knew that you you didn't want to go in i mean you didn't want to go into to to the office at seven in the morning you'd never get there so we used to go in like four in the morning because you beat the traffic he would make sure that an equipment guy they wrote equipment guy was there to open up and set you up so that way you get there and you could get a lot of work done and you didn't have to deal with the traffic but that was an la thing and he was great he was absolutely great now he had a ton of players that used to be a 3 day visit <laughs> you had to spend yeah. 3 days to look at all their players yeah cuz they had so many guys yes uh, real quick, tell you that we're brought to you by Blue Sky. They believe in being fast, fresh, and friendly through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience from services to products. Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh and always provide the freshest flavors of the brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. So check out Blue Sky today at one of the 48 store locations across the Southeast. Also brought to you by Alpha Specialties, located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. They are your trailer-specific professionals. If you want to haul it, they can call it. Alpha's the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. They've got load trails, the premium brand trailer, the highest quality utility equipment dump and gooseneck trailer being built today. Uh, They've got um, Hallmark cargo trailers as well, one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market, perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camps, hauling race cars, and more. They can even work with third parties to have game day trailers, concession trailers built just for you. They have spare tires and wheels at just $100, a full selection of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories. Listeners can get 10% off a yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full service shop. They can repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, RV, and more. 601 932 9798 or alpha of ms.com. Um, I know we're running short, but I want to address something <laughs> interesting. It was on the topic I was going to mention, and I talked about it on the Landry Football Podcast yesterday. And I got another email here. I was, I was listening to you uh, to address the Ed Orgeron situation. The guy you know, the guy you covered. So Ed came out this week and in a far reaching interview, which sometimes you just want to say, Ed, maybe just stop talking. You know, he's trying to win favor in some situations. So he admitted publicly, this is something we knew with regards to Bo Pelini. But he admitted publicly that he didn't even interview. He didn't even meet with Bo Pelini or Scott Linehan before he hired him last year. And of course, 
to remind everyone those were one and done coaches fired passing game coordinator, defensive coordinator. Uh, he did meet with Matt Canada going back a few years, but that was a disaster waiting to happen. He didn't meet with them a whole lot. Um, he met with, but it was really Steve Insminger that pushed him to hire Joe Brady. So, but the, the question is <laughs> how common is it for a head coach to hire an assistant without ever meeting with him? No, this is not a common occurrence. Um, why did Ed say it? Well, let me give you a theory on why I think Ed's saying it. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I don't think it makes sense. And I think it only it 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 may be he's trying to cover himself a little bit one area, but he's he's exposing him and embarrassing himself. This is Ed's, and I mentioned this, go into detail, and I can do it again next week, but he's trying to distance him himself from last year's team performance. Bopolini, awful defense. Well, Ed, aren't you a defensive guy? Well, I didn't, I didn't even interview him. In other words, the the saying it without saying it as well, because he had he had one person in that administration in particular, but a couple of them that were there when Bo Pelini was there before under Les Miles. So Bo had a kind of a, you know, but people that knew, I knew that that Bo and Ed were personalities that were oil and water and weren't going to work. So this was his way of kind of saying, well, and he kind of made comments like, I, I let things go in the game plan. Well, Ed is not a game plan oriented guy, but this was his way of trying to distance himself from last team. Well, it doesn't work that way. You're the head coach. And by doing that, he's actually gotten more of the ire of the, the LSU fans because they're saying, you didn't even interview. That's malpractice as a coach. And in other words, it's like, well, I hired two guys and uh, I didn't even, and even one of the assistants, I didn't even interview him. I didn't even talk to him before I hired him. That ain't ever going to happen again. In other words, like, look, look, that's why it went so bad folks, because I didn't do that. And, you know, I was tied up with this and that that's your job. So that in, in an effort to try to distance himself from the failures, he's exposing the fact that he's really not very organized. And in some areas, I think that is, I I think it's maybe a worse outcome than he expected. He's had as bad of a two years. (laughs) He really has. He took a fall off a damn cliff. The guy, the guy, the guy coached a team that won everything. The national championship, obviously the SEC championship, the Heisman, the whatever list of awards you can win. I think they won them all. Yeah. And, And since then, it's been a colossal train wreck, quite frankly. I mean, and and I don't want to overdo it because there's still a talented roster, and 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 there's still there's still a, a program to be reckoned with in the SEC. But he is writing the book for how to not handle a post championship era. He, he's putting himself in a position where if, and again, I'm emphasizing the word if, if it goes badly, if they have a bad season, a disappointing season, he's sort of writing. He's sort of writing the story himself for reasons to justify moving on from a championship coach quickly. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, that was a one-off. You know, the championship is what it's really more like. But here's the other thing: Scott Woodard um, came out, and let me give context to this statement. So here's, in addition to all of that, and the hiring and the mishirings and all that, last year, about this time, and this is not a political statement. 
But he, when he went to the White House, there is this kind of weird relationship between <laughs> Mr. New York Donald Trump and the Cajun. And, I, you know, I mean, you know how Trump can get very, I love this, you know. Well, it, it, I don't think adds into politics. God bless him. I don't even know if he takes time to vote. God bless him. And I've known that for 30 years. But, you know, he doesn't know how to handle it. And I, what do you do when you got the president? You need to show respect. But but he he's always on the cell. And so he became like this buddy of Trump in a de facto way. Like, you know, when the whole COVID thing came out, Trump would call him. And and he's he he's developed a close relationship with John Bell Edwards, the governor of Louisiana, Ed Orgeron. And Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. He was a Democrat, but actually a Democrat that Trump liked. He, he campaigned against him, of course, but kind of got along anyway. And, and that's as much politics as I know. But but the point is, Ed doesn't quite get it. And Scott Woodard was very uncomfortable. And the athletic administration was, look, look you have to respect the office and you respect. But you have to understand if you're going to come across as a buddy of Trump, remember who 85 percent of your roster is and where they and their political leanings are, okay? You can have any belief you want, but if the people that you are responsible for, you better understand that they're not going to be comfortable with it. Well, why am I getting into this? There was a, you remember the whole Nick Saban walk with his team and the, and the you know, the, the whole Black Lives Matter thing. He wasn't supporting, he was supporting his team. The LSU football team, went on a march themselves and did not tell the head coach. In fact, I found out there was an assistant, uh, up, uh, an, uh, an athletic administrator above, you know, below the athletic director, but above the head coach that told the players, don't tell Ed, don't, don't include Ed because we don't want him. He's for Trump. Okay, this is not a political statement, but my point is, is this was he would. So there was some internal strife that Ed didn't realize that he kind of stepped into. So the players love Ed, but thought he was disrespecting them. And they went on a march themselves and didn't even tell Ed. And that led to some problems and a lot of internal problems that. A lot of guys were just kind of doing what they wanted to do. Now, this is not about you got a right to support who you want, but if you're going to be a head coach, you better keep your views to yourself. So what do I say is, why do I say all this? Scott Woodard came out recently publicly and said this. Um, I, I wrote it down. He says, I think Ed has finally learned to stay out of politics. <laughs> he said he quoted as saying that so the, that was the that was his what he's been saying behind the scenes was what the bleep are you doing you don't do that you have your political when you do that you need to understand the consequences that 85 percent of your players are going to think differently and that may you get into political conversations you're going to have a lot of you know problem and i think that led to a lot of issues so you're right ed has had a bad year it's been a divorce. Um, man, the stories behind that, I won't say on the air. Yeah. But good Lord about, you know, what happened, some of the stuff there. And mo a lot of it was on his wife. A lot of that was – anyway, just – it's been it's been one hell of a year. I saw him at, at Walgreens not long ago. 
right down the street we go and i i don't know what he's going to go to walgreens because people stopping him all that and i just kind of give him a little thumbs up he just he shook his head this was a month ago he said he said man tough you <laughs> that's all he said sure. <laughs> and i said i got the hell out of there anyway but that that it's been it's been a rough year and i think sometimes he's trying to distance it's not that it wasn't true but quite frankly look you you can't take the credit for the great year and Joe Brady, and then distance yourself from Bo Pelini. You have ownership on it. And, you know, a lot of the, look, the Ryan Nielsen, they're blaming the Saints. for now. Well, what the hell are the Saints supposed to do? They wanted to keep their guy. You're going to blame them because he wouldn't let them go to, well, I, I'm, it's not my job to do that. You know, I mean, I, but anyway, lots of concerns. Uh, it was an embarrassing situation. I just think sometimes with Ed, you just say, Ed, Stop talking. And I know you probably know what I mean. And your Ole Miss fans that listen just know, know what I mean. I still think he's 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 come a long way from the Ole Miss days, but boy, there's still some of that that comes out of him time to time. No doubt. Uh yeah, we'll we'll wrap up there. I started to I started out there's a I'll tell you this. I'll say this, then I'll move on. There is a lot of people in athletics very quietly, really worried about the potential summer ahead of them from uh, putting coaches in a really tough spot. Um, there are a lot of people in athletics that are watching this trial in Minneapolis closely. There are a lot of people in athletics who saw what happened last summer with the black lives matter um, stuff that put a lot of people in some awkward spots. And then this is not about a race thing, by the way, just uh, sure. there's, there's, there is a concern I'll just I'll I'll say it then we'll we'll move on give us something to talk about down the road. Um, we we started the show. And I, one of my thoughts was, what will we talk about when there's no football season? That has not been a problem. Um, there is a lot of concern that if uh, the officer involved who's being charged, uh, Derek Chauvin, I think is his name. Correct. If Chauvin is uh, acquitted, meaning found not guilty of um, second degree murder, not guilty of third degree murder. I don't know whether the, a, a manslaughter charge would would change this, an involuntary manslaughter charge, or, or or an outright acquittal. If that happens, um, and a lot of legal people think that is certainly a, a distinct possibility based on the the body of evidence in the case, that if that happens and there are protests, when coaches, when players march and protest, which is certainly their right. When coaches are put in that weird spot of, okay, at this point, if I march with my players, what is the message that I'm sending to law enforcement in Baton Rouge? Mm -hmm. That's in, right. In Starkville, in Fayetteville, in Oxford, in Athens. And you know this, Chris. You've been a part of a college. Mm -hmm. You don't want to alienate <laughs> local law enforcement because sometimes local law enforcement can save you from some embarrassment with your players they can work with you not special favors or anything like that but you know what i'm talking about i mean it's just a, you want to have a good relationship sure. you want to have a good relationship with local law enforcement and if you are put in a position where it looks like you're protesting law enforcement that could get awkward and there are people around college athletics who this it's, is the topic it's not going away well, yep it's not going away and and you're right and remember too in the deep South, in the SEC, a lot of the political views are very much, hey, 
you know, not uh, – they're a certain way, let's just call it. Yet they tend to support their football teams in a way that, you know, is – because, I mean, I can tell you this, there was a lot of backlash. I did some Alabama, a lot of Alabama radio. A lot of people said things like, when Nick Saban marched with his team, I'm never watching an Alabama game again. I tend to not believe that. I, I, I bet those same people were saying roll tide by the time they were run for another national championship. But a lot of people may feel that way and don't like that. And so it is, to me, it is about supporting your players' right to express their views in the right way. And I think you're going to have to have some conversations, how to do it peacefully and all that, and then whether you should take part or not or not, because if you take part, um, you're right. You, you, you're, you're, you're them. Okay. And, and what you see is a lot of the fan bases is what I'm saying is they're, they're going to be anti whatever the players are going to want to do. And, and yet they're going to be pro, you know, on the field for their team. And that's going to be in direct contrast. And, and look, they're, they're going to be dealing with this in the NFL, although there's less, the NFL is a lot different animal. There's a lot more, uh, hey, that's my Georgia Bulldogs. That's my, you know, Ole Miss Rebels. That's my, you know, it's my, I went to school. There's a lot more passion, and you're right. And it's going to be, yeah, are you anti-police now? Are you anti- As, oh, boy, I think it is a mess. And it's going to only get, it's going to only get more, more challenging for coaches. Yeah, agreed completely. And, and, and by the way, uh, real quick, I know as we're going out, uh, Big Ben, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, spring football thoughts over at LandryFootball.com in our notebooks every day. Spring football information, recruiting information, the NFL side, free agent information, draft information. We didn't even get to that today. The horizontal boards coming up uh, this weekend, uh, early next week on LandryFootball.com. Uh, got all of that for you, so check it out and check out everything over at Rebel Grove as well. Yeah, so enjoy uh, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the tournament. We'll be back. Chris will be back on Tuesday. I think uh, I've got uh, I've got a, a conflict on Tuesday, but I'll be back this time a week from now, and we'll continue to enjoy your company and talk to you on SEC football and beyond. For Chris, I'm Neil. Enjoy your weekend. Take care.